If you walk out the main office of Jefferson Junior High and drive about 1,900 miles west, you'll find yourself in the Sierra Nevada mountains in California. It's a beautiful area, but unfortunately, the history is not quite as beautiful. You'd find yourself in an area specifically called the Donner Pass. Why is it called the Donner Pass? Well, today we're gonna find out. Let's get started. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different than the previous ones we've done. So I'm joined by a guest today. I have the king. Mr. Kuklinski is with me today. Mr. K, say hi. Hi, guys. I'm very excited to talk about this book that we discussed in class, and it will be so much fun. Thanks for having me. The pleasure is truly mine, Your Highness. All right. So let's just get right into this here. Mr. K, who was or what was the Donner Party? So Donner Party is a, a group of pioneers who emigrated from Illinois in the early 1800s. We're talking 1830s and 1840s in an attempt to make a new living out west in California. So what you're really looking at is a collection of many families, not just the Donner family, but you have the Reed family, the Graves family, and many others who banded together in a, in a big group, because guess what? There's safety in numbers. Uh, so that way they could emigrate safely over the plains, over the mountains, and hopefully make it to California, the land of wealth, beautiful fair weather, and land that is free. All right, so they're going out there for the free land, but there's not really an easy way to get to California at this point in time. So they're having to go across what would be the future states of Iowa and Nebraska and probably Wyoming and Utah and Nevada before they're finally getting there. So what is life like for them in uh, what year? Is this 1840s that we're looking at here? So the, the reason why a lot of these immigrant families decide to pick up and leave are because, uh, like we said, land in California is, is free, but also the places that these families leave are actually infested by malaria. Because a lot of these families are settling in areas, these swampy, um, low-lying areas that unfortunately in the 1840s, 1846 to be specific, uh, have these outbreaks of malaria. You have these conflicts with Native Americans. If you paid attention in class, you would remember that uh, Black Hawk Wars have just finished in 1830s, so people are still wary about conflicts uh, with Native Americans. Uh, and ultimately, the biggest draw is that a lot of these families could sell their land and, and pick up the money that they made from the sale of their farm and, and, and go out west. So the, these families would... You know, grab whatever cattle, whatever whatever animals they had on their farms, any wagons they might have, and pack all their belongings, you know, their stove, their little tiny doll if you're a child, and, and head out west. Make a trek uh, as many miles a day as they could and eat as many calories a day they could because uh, 
if you are a child or you know, a woman at the, those times and you're walking all day long carrying things, uh, you know, trying to help out the wagons if they get stuck, you're burning more than five, six thousand calories a day. Mm. So uh, to answer your, your question, uh, daily life on a trail would consist of really looking out after your health. And that is primarily consuming as many calories as you could. On average, people burned about 6,000 calories a day. Think of the... When you bike, how much? How many calories are you biking? So on a daily average ride that usually consists of about 30 miles, relatively quick tempo, I look to burn about 1,000 calories. So 6,000 calories of, of exertion a day is, is definitely... A lot. I can definitely count, uh, you know, the amount of times where I burned three thousand calories or four thousand calories on one single ride, you know, on, on a palm of my hand, uh, you know, and I've been cycling for almost a decade. So this is day after day after day of of difficult, long walking miles uh, out west on uh, varying terrain. So a lot of it consisted of you know eating, taking care of your livestock taking care of your you know, family and, and covering as much ground as possible. Okay, so as they're burning through all these calories heading out west, you know, they're going through some relatively flat land in places like Iowa and Missouri and Nebraska. That kind of area is pretty flat. But then once you start to get out to Wyoming and Utah, you've got, you've got big mountains there, and that's where they run into some problems because of some shortcuts, right? That's correct. Uh, there's many different passes that you can uh, use to traverse the Rocky Mountains. And unfortunately, you do not know the way. You do not have Google Maps, right? That Those did not exist. So a lot of these pioneer trains would rely on hearsay or maps and trails that they read about in books and, or sometimes there would be these people who would try to deceive these trails to take a road that would benefit them economically. So think of, you know, someone has built a fort and they have supplies they want to sell to these pioneer families. It's in their interest to direct these trains, uh, pioneer trains, to go through these cutoffs, if you will. So they would spend their money in these forts built by these entrepreneurs. So Hastings Cutoff was one of those shortcuts, in air quotes, that unfortunately Donner Party took, which took them south from Wyoming through Utah, through Salt Lake City area out west, which unfortunately was not a shortcut because it added 150 miles to their journey and mm. more importantly, slowed them down by about a month on their overall journey. So this shortcut ends up losing them a lot of time. And so by the time that they make it out to uh, California, they're about a month behind schedule. So they get to the mountains and that's where our story seems to take a very, very dark turn. So what happens when they get to the Sierra Nevadas? So this Donner Party, this gigantic train of pioneers, they enter California at around October, late October. And the way in which this mountain range is set up, 
uh, it really allows for very heavy snow precipitation. So this party gets stuck in this mountain range because of heavy snowfall. And unfortunately, because they cannot go through the mountains very quickly, they decide, you know what, we'll just you know make camp and wait here and try again tomorrow. But unfortunately, at night, over five feet of snow falls on top of the camp. And really, all these people, they're stuck in the mountains in late October, early November, without knowing how to traverse this mountain range. Uh, they've spent too much time traversing through Utah and the salt flats there. Their supplies are already running out. So even though they are already in California and they just have to make it through that mountain range, they're so close to making it to their final destination, they're stuck and in a very, very dangerous and precarious position right now. So as they're stuck in the mountains, supplies are running out. And I imagine that the first thing that they do is they turn to their uh, their ox and their horses and they, I mean, it's not my first choice of food, but you're in survival mode at that point in time. But Eventually, uh, they run out of they run out of the animals too, and so our story is about to go even darker here, isn't it? You're exactly right. Uh, the oxen, all of their provisions, are gone. So we're about two, maybe three weeks into the ordeal. The party decided to send a relief group uh, forward and just give them any leftover food that they might have and hope that this party would get to Johnson's ranch just outside of Sacramento and get help. Because you have to remember, this party, uh, they had adults, they had infants, uh, five-year-olds, teenagers. These kids needed help from the outside in order to get out of this mountain range. And so what eventually ended up happening is a lot of people died, not necessarily due to uh, starvation, but because of hypothermia. That was primarily the cause of, of death. That doesn't mean that uh, the people in the party uh, tried to stay alive by supplementing their you know, fat stores in their bodies by eating whatever they could because they, they thought that the primary re reason why people were dying is because of starvation. So a couple of weeks into the ordeal, people start dropping like flies as a result of this inclement weather. And uh, a lot of the survivors have a choice to make. Do we let those bodies go to waste or do we try to sustain ourselves and eat the bodies of the dead uh, and in so doing survive or we all die. And so the cho hard choices had to be made and instances of cannibalism, unfortunately, did take place. So we've got, we do have people that survive this ordeal though, like because of using everything they've got as well as instances of cannibalism, we do have some survivors. So about half, I think, end up uh, walking out of those mountains in the springtime. What's uh, what's the end of their story? So a lot of the 
Donner Party participants, um, they do make it to California, to Sacramento. A lot of them get you know, large tracts of land in the Sacramento Valley, and they have to literally start a new life. Uh, some of the people in the party uh, die later on because of adverse health effects from the ordeal. Some uh, are so traumatized that they never really regain their you know, psychological well-being. But ultimately, you're looking at uh, people like Sarah Graves, who is described in the book at length, who has to remarry three times, who has to take care of like six or seven siblings because uh, her parents have died in the ordeal. So she's 21 years old at the time, and she has custody of couple of infants, uh, children that she has to take care of and really start a new life in, in this new state across the country um, and try to make the best of it. So if I was to make this 1900 mile drive from, from Naperville out to uh, the Donner Pass, what am I looking at? Like what's there today? If you went to Donner Pass today, it's just north of Lake Tahoe, a very nice beautiful scenic area in Northern California. You'll find beautiful ski resorts. You'll find a meteorological center that measures the adverse effects of, uh, you know, Northern winds coming from Alaska, resulting in these enormous snow precipitation in the Sierra Nevada. So the unfortunate reality for the Donners and the party over, overall is the fact that this mountain range and this section of the mountain range especially is very unusually prone to heavy snowfall. And that's why you have fantastic powdery snow that you can ski on. You will also find a museum dedicated to the ordeal and the Donner Party and really the pioneers heading out west. Uh, you'll find various agricultural uh state facilities. Uh, so this area, if you just drove through it on I-80, you would not think twice that it had so much history there of ordeal and uh, overcoming adversity. So if you are ever in Central California, I would highly recommend that you visit. Well, thank you, Mr. Kalinske, for uh, joining me today. I, am, I have to admit, I have never been to California. Um, but if I ever get out there, this is a place that I think I, I definitely need to see. And I apparently need to check out the book in different stars above by Daniel James Brown, since I know that's where, uh, that's where you got a ton of, uh, of your knowledge on this here. So thank you for, uh, talking to us today and, uh, remember friends, um, this is something that we'll never really get a chance to talk about in class, but you should probably know. Mm -hmm.